Good morning, dear friends. I am blessed to be among you today. My name is Samia Johnson. I'm honored to have my husband, Monir, here. Uh, we came from um, Egypt seven years ago as legal immigrants to this beautiful country, the land of the free, and we could not imagine the freedom that you enjoy, guys, here, that you can give a Christian pamphlet to someone on the streets and you will not go to prison. So we knew when we came here that we wanted to be missionaries in this country just to return a small little portion of all the missionaries that you sent in the 18th and 19th century back to the Middle East so that you can revive the Christian faith that had started there 2,000 years ago. And we knew when we came that we wanted to do two things. First, to reach the Muslims in this country. There are millions of them. And second, to visit every church in this country and to tell them that Islam that's presented here in the West, in the mosques, is not the Islam that we grew up in. This is very watered-down, westernized. And... Uh, but also to tell them and to tell you that Jesus loves Muslims and he is bringing millions of them to know him. I grew up in Lebanon during the civil war, 15 years between Muslims and Christians. And uh, my husband and I were born in true Christian homes. Praise the Lord for that. For we accepted the Lord at young age and God called us during college years to ministry. He was in Egypt, I was in Lebanon. We didn't know each other. We met in Cyprus while doing ministry there. But then, uh, although I accepted the Lord and I was serving, I kept a dark room in my heart. And inside that room, I tucked every hatred and fear uh, towards Muslims because I lived for 15 years not knowing if the next day I will be alive. God saved me from death several times. We lived underground in shelters, no electricity, no water, and uh, it was very hard. But uh, it, God in 1989 allowed me to start working in a Christian Arabic radio ministry, and for the first time, I touched letters that Muslim had touched just a week before, and they were crying out because they were praying to Allah, and he was not hearing. They were afraid for death and the torture of the grave, and they didn't know what to do. And they heard about Christ in, the, in our radio programs, and they were wondering if he is the solution. And I saw hundreds, if thousands of them, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. After our first service, uh, I was honored to meet one lady from Syria, and she said she came with an open mind when she heard that someone is speaking about Islam. But she was very angry because I told the truth about Islam, and I am sad that she left this way. And she told me at the end, you have no right to talk about Muslims because you are not a Muslim. Well, I have walked with Muslims through many journeys for the past 25 years. So I know what Islam is and what it's coming from. And I just want to clear out something, that most Muslims don't know the truth about their religion. And when they hear it the first time, they get angry and frustrated because they didn't realize that this is the truth. They wouldn't believe it even until God kept, keeps talking on their hearts to look into the books, to look into the Quran, and to look into the Hadith and see if this is true or not. First, I want to thank you, before I start, for supporting us as a ministry and as a family. I especially want to uh, 
thank Pastor Chuck Peckham and Pastor Phil, who took the time in the past few years to get to know us as a family and ministry on a personal level, to know our heart and our uh, calling for the Muslims. And we are humbled and honored with your partnership. When Pastor Phil asked me to talk to you this morning, uh, this weekend, about Islam, I felt delighted, but at the same time burdened, because I know how difficult it is to talk about Islam. It is not... A, an easy subject, and if you want to be politically correct in this world, you shouldn't be talking about Islam, right? Or you should be talking in a very neutral way. But this is not why I'm here today. I'm here today to expose the truth, but at the same time, to show God's love to those people. And I want to say again and again, God put this love in my heart towards Muslims. He helped me to forgive them in 1989. He replaced all my hatred, all my anguish and fear with his agape love. And I know it's from him because from 18, 1989 till now, this love has not changed in my heart. On the contrary, it increases every day. And I pray today that the Lord will work in your heart so that the fear will be cast away. And then instead of it, there will be compassion towards those people. Speaking about Islam is not an easy task for four main reasons, and I want to go through them quickly. It's because Islam presents, different than other religions, it presents partial biblical truths, all right? So it's a twisted, fake version of the original message of the Bible. Second, just like Christianity, Islam is a missional religion. Muslims believe strongly in proselytizing on converting others, and it's happening in the West. 10,000 American women convert to Islam every year. 15,000 of our young people in prisons are converted to Islam. And third, at its core, Islam is not only a religion. It's an ideology and a political and cultural system that impacts the entire life of the individual, of the community, and of governments as well. The fourth reason, and you might know that, is that Islam has been and continues to be a militant religion represented by Islamic militant groups these days, just like Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Just from January 2015, over 30,000 Muslims and Christians have been killed by ISIS. And over 400,000 Syrians have been killed, both Muslims and Christians, since 2004, 2011. This morning, I will present a quick overview about Islam. Usually, teaching about Islam takes five to six hours from me in a seminar. So you will feel maybe you're taking from a fire hose. I'm sorry for that. You can take notes, but also we have so many resources in the back after we finish this so that you can read on your own. But mostly, I want to concentrate about the Muslims in our backyard. Who are they? What do they think of us? What do they believe? And... Are they all extremists or not? And we'll find out if we can communicate with them. As I was preparing, God highlighted in front of me a story from the Old Testament, and I love and I grew up on the Old Testament stories from the book of Numbers 13 so that we can learn from it today. In the first two verses in chapter 13, we read, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. So the Lord speaks to Moses 
After the people settle in the Paran Desert, after he feeds them, he orders him to send spies to explore Canaan, the land he promised them, because they were afraid to move forward and take it. Two of the 12 tribes, if you remember their names, were Caleb and Joshua. Essentially, the 12 leaders were to report back through faith rather than sight about the strengths of the weak and the weaknesses of the people and the prosperity of the land. So they traveled 250 miles for 40 days, if you see it in the map, and then when they returned, they brought back sample fruit, a grape cluster too big that two men had to carry, pomegranates and figs. The 12 spies came back with conflicting insights and reality checks, which we will review and assess within a few minutes. But now, let's go on a discovery expedition to learn about the Muslim families who live in our neighborhood. Let's go quickly to the faith of Islam. What do Muslims believe? There are five doctrines, five beliefs that Muslims have to follow. They should believe in Allah. The name of their God is Allah. He's a single unit. He's the creator. He's a judge. He has no son. He's a progressive, all-powerful God. He's an aloof master. They believe in spiritual beings. They believe in angels. They believe in Satan. They also believe in jinn, which the word genie comes from. And these are spirits, good and bad, that they intervene in their lives daily. And that's why there's a lot of folk Islam in the world. And uh, it depends on a lot of magic and intervention of the spirits. They also believe in the holy books. They believe that there were five messages Allah sent to humanity throughout the ages. The first one was from Abraham. But this script doesn't exist anymore. They don't know where it is. The second one was from Moses, the five books of Moses, the Torah. The third one is from the prophet Dawood, or David they call him, uh, which is the Psalms. The fourth one, Prophet Isa, who is Jesus. Uh, Allah gave him the gospel, the Injil, but it doesn't exist anymore. That's why they believe that the Bible in our hands today is not the original, and but the final message was through the final prophet who is Muhammad. Now, with the prophets, Muhammad said that there were 144,000 prophets who came before him, but the Quran mentions only a few from the Old Testament. Jesus is a prophet, but the final and the seal of the prophets is Muhammad. That's why the message of Islam is the final message from the Creator to every human being. And interestingly, they believe in the judgment day. Allah will weigh at the judgment day the good and the bad deeds, and Muhammad will intercede for the Muslims. Before the judgment day, they believe Isa, or Jesus, will come as a Muslim, according to the Hadith, and he will convert Christians and Jews to Islam. He will destroy all the crosses and kill all the pigs. This is from the Hadith. Now, last week, if you remember Pastor Phil, when he was speaking about Hinduism, he compared between all the religions of the world and Christianity. Christianity is done. God did the work for us. While all other religions, including Islam, they are based on do, do all the time. It is works. So in Islam, if you want to become a Muslim, you visit a mosque, they tell you, you have to follow the five pillars or practices of Islam. Remember, five doctrines, five pillars. 
The first pillar is to recite a shahada or the creed. And you have to recite it in Arabic so that Allah will accept it. And then you recite it in your own language to understand it. So you say, Ashhadu anna la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Which means I confess that there is no God but Allah and I confess that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Once you say this, you become a Muslim and there is no turning back. If you decide to leave Islam, you become an infidel. And in many Islamic cultures that, that follow Sharia law, you might be killed because you become an infidel. The second thing you have to do is to pray daily five times. And prayer is not like what we pray. They are memorized passages from the Quran. There are gestures, chanting, and you do have to do a lot of washing before every prayer. It is very rigid. Supplication, on the other hand, which is dua, is if a Muslim wants to pray to Allah for healing or for a job, but this is not done any time. Allah hears these supplications early in the afternoon, usually before the crack of dawn, or during war times, or when you are on a journey or on a trip. So Allah is not available all the time for Muslims. The third thing is almsgiving, or zakat. And Muslims give 2.5% of their excess wealth. So after you pay your mortgage, you go on vacation, everything. If you have in your bank account more than $4,000, then you start to pay. So the poor don't give any tithing, only the rich. So Muslims give the leftovers for their God while we give the first of the fruit because he deserves it, right? Amen. The fourth thing a Muslim must do if he is able and healthy is to go to pilgrimage, to go to Mecca, to go to Saudi Arabia, it's a 14-day process of rituals. And uh, Muhammad promised that every Muslim that finishes pilgrimage, he or she will become like a pure baby, no sins whatsoever. So Muslims do that in the hope that Allah will, ple will be pleased with them and they will gain paradise. And the fifth practice is Ramadan, fasting from sun, uh, sundown, to sunset, sunrise to sunset, for 28 days during the month of Ramadan that changes every year. And during that time, Muslims try to be very religious. They try not to lie. And uh, they try to recite the whole Quran during that time. Well, Muslims love God so much. They try to please him. They yearn to connect with him. But after all these practices, they're left with more emptiness and despair and fear. Their words resemble what we read in Isaiah 64, verses 5 and 6. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf. I remember one uh, former Muslim woman sharing her testimony a few years ago, and she was seeking God with all her being, in her country, I believe it was Egypt. And then she was able to pay her way to go to do pilgrimage. She said, okay, maybe I will find Allah there. She went there, she did the 14 days, she visited all the holy sites. And then at the end, she couldn't, she couldn't feel anything. She was sitting on a bank in front of you know, uh, Mecca and the Kaaba and people were going around and she was seeing all their faces grim. No one was getting healed. They were crying. The blind was blind. The unhealed was unhealed. And she, suddenly she felt so broke and she looked up to heaven 
And Jesus appeared to her in the clouds. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And she saw the wounds on his hand. And she realized in the spirit that he is the son of God and that she doesn't need to look anymore. She bowed down there at the Kaaba and confessed Jesus as Lord. She left Saudi Arabia as a true Christ follower. God reaches Muslims when they reach their end and when they are crying out to him. What does Islam teach about salvation and sin? It's very important for us to learn this because you need to know the background where Muslims are coming from. According to the Bible, we know that sin is an offense against God. David confesses, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Sin separates us from his holy presence. But not in Islam. Muslims are already separated from Allah. He is aloof. Sin in Islam is a mistake, and it is an offense towards one's own person. But it can be wiped by Allah if he chooses, or a person needs to do good works to outweigh the bad works. The Quran offers three doctrines about salvation. Some people adopt all three. Some people adopt one or two, it depends on their research and their faith journey. The first doctrine we heard, it's the judgment day. You might be saved if your good works outweigh your bad works. But if you ask a Muslim, do you know so far if your good works have outweighed your bad works? He said, they would say, Allah knows. I wouldn't guarantee anything. So they're always in fear of that. The second doctrine, which contradicts the first one, Allah decides who gets saved. Listen to this scary verse from the Quran, chapter 7, verses 178 and 179. Whoever Allah guides, he is the one who follows the right way. And whoever he causes to err or make mistakes, these are the losers. Many are the jinn and men we have created for hell. So Muslims know that some of them were created for hell. So this leads them to fatalism, to be passive and pessimist. Well, Allah has decreed all things, so I cannot change anything in my life. That is so sad. The third doctrine, which has hope for Muslims, is you get rewards and you will be saved eternally through martyrdom for the sake of Allah and the expansion and the protection of Islam. This is the ultimate salvation that any Muslim may seek. I believe Muhammad used this as a great marketing tool for forceful expansion. And we're seeing it working today, right? The more Muslims read about their religion and realize that it's only through martyrdom that I can be saved, okay. I will lose 20, 30 years of my life here, but then I will gain eternity in paradise. So what does a martyr get when he dies? First, he is saved from the torture of the grave. Every Muslim will pass through the torture of the grave, and it's a scary process. You can watch it online in one of our YouTubes. And then, every Muslim will have to pass through hell first, according to the Quran. And then it's up to Allah to decide when he will get them out of it. The martyr will go straight to paradise, where he is welcomed by 72 huris 
And Huris are not women, humans. They are creatures created just for the enjoyment of men. Now, the Quran doesn't say about a woman suicide bomber, uh, bomber what she gets. Uh, they tell her, we're sure that Allah has prepared something good for you there. And this suicide bomber will not stand in front of Allah on judgment day. So the good and bad way? No. In addition to that, the family members of the suicide bomber will gain favors in front of Allah. That's why you see a lot of mothers offering their adult children and being happy for them to go to, to die for the sake of Islam. They say, well, I might lose my son or daughter for 20, 30 years here, but then I know they will go to paradise. This is sad. I don't think. I'm certain the Heavenly Father, the loving God who created us, does not want us to kill ourselves so that we will be saved. Why? Because he sent his son to die for us. And this is what we tell Muslims. You don't need to die anymore. Someone died in your place so that you may have life and life abundant through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I don't have the time to talk to you about women in Islam. You have to come to one of the seminars or Sharia law or lying, which is, by the way, allowed in Islam, in the Quran. But the important thing for us to know is that Islam is a religion and an ideology that instills in humans since their childhood the status of being slaves to the master and the urge to work hard to please the mighty one in the hope of going to paradise. This is Islam in a nutshell. But let's talk about Muslims, the adherents or the followers of Islam. You can also call them Islamics who live in our communities and neighborhoods. How, what, how much do you think is the population of Muslims in the U.S.? Some say 3 million, others say 12 million. Because we don't do con uh, census in America based on religion, so we don't know exactly how many. But maybe you agree with me that the impact of Muslims in this country are now being very much heard, seen, and felt. Correct? If you go to islamicfinder.com or .org and you Google how many Muslim Islamic centers or nonprofit Islamic centers or businesses or schools there are in your zip code or in any zip code in the country, you'll find out staggering numbers. I just looked up 45045 and I said, okay, I want within 30 miles. There were 80 mosques, 70 to 80 Islamic nonprofit organizations, four Islamic schools, hundreds of businesses, and the rest. Now, what about the sects? Do all Muslims believe the same? No, they don't. Maybe you've heard in the news, Shiite, Sunnis, there's conflict between them. And Muslims sometimes say, we don't have denominations in Islam. We are one nation, one ummah. You Christians, you have so many versions. But no, there are hundreds of sects in Islam. The two major ones are the Sunnis, 85% of the 1.67 billion Muslims in the world follow the Sunni Islam. And uh, the home of the Sunnis is Saudi Arabia. Indonesia is the highest population. Egypt, the oil countries. The Islamic uh, militant groups of the Sunnis are Al-Qaeda, the main ones, 
Al-Shabaab in Somalia, Boko Haram in Nigeria, and definitely ISIS. The second largest are the Shiite Muslims, and the hub for them is in Iran. There's a lot of them in Pakistan, in Lebanon, almost half a million in Detroit, the largest population of Shiites outside an Islamic country. Their hub is in Iran, and the Islamic militant group of them is Hezbollah. And they feel that they are the underdogs because they are persecuted by the Sunni Muslims. That's why there's a lot of conflict and war in between them. You can download a free comparison between the Sunni and Shia beliefs on our website, calloflove.org. There are other minority sects. Maybe you've heard about Sufism, uh, the Alawis, the Nation of Islam, but Muslim Sunnis look at these other sects as cults. They don't acknowledge them, and they say these need also to convert. And that's why you see ISIS and Al-Qaeda and other Muslim extremists, they're killing other Muslims from other sects because they believe they are as much as infidels as the, Muslims, uh, as the Christians and Jews. What are the ethnicities of the Muslims in the U.S.? Now, a correction, not every Muslim is an Arab, okay? And not every Arab is a Muslim. Less than a quarter of the Muslims worldwide and in the U.S. are Arabs. The majority in the U.S. are Americans, mostly African Americans and Caucasian, 30%. And then there's the Iranians, there's those from South Asia, a lot of Muslims in India, for instance. All these Muslims come from different cultures, different languages. They have different food and clothing. But they are all under the one religion of Islam. And they all have to use the Arabic language to pray to Allah and to recite the Quran because Allah only accepts the Arabic language. So you might have a Pakistani whose mother tongue is Urdu. They would recite the Quran and pray and they wouldn't understand what they're saying because according to Islam, you don't need to understand what you're saying. You need to say it correctly with the right chanting and where to stop and where to start. This is what Allah really wants, the beauty in your presentation more than what you understand about Allah because there's no way you as a Muslim can understand the Quran or can understand Allah. So just cancel your brain and follow your leaders and what they tell you. Allow me to give you some statistics about U.S. Muslims from a recent, recent Pew Research so that you know what type of Muslims we have in our backyard. 63% of the U.S. Muslims are first-generation immigrants, mostly young families with children who came from their oppressive countries seeking a better life for themselves and for their children and better education. Over 55% have Muslim friends only. Over half have Muslim friends only. I hope that we will work on changing this as churches in the U.S. Because the more we befriend Muslims, the less we have Muslim, angry Muslims in this country. And 96% say they believe in God. Nearly two-thirds report praying at least once daily. And nearly half say they attend religious services at least weekly. More than Christians, right? These people are religious. They want to please God, and contrary to what most believe, they are very open to discuss faith. They will not be offended if you ask them, so what do you believe in? Do you go to the mosque? 
And then this will be an opportunity for you to talk about your belief as well. They will never be offended because the religion and the faith in their life is part of their everyday life. Now you might say, okay, they are religious, so does this mean they are nice, peaceful people, or are they angry and hateful people? Maybe you know some nice ones, but what about the rest? And this leads to another question which we need to ask. Is Islam a peaceful religion as mainstream media try to portray it? I'm talking about the ideology, the teaching of Islam, not the people. There's an important truth that most media fails to address. It's about the progression of Islam during Muhammad's life, which led Muslims and the world to be confused and have conflicting views about Islam. Muhammad was born in the 6th century, 600 years after Jesus, 570 AD. And he received his first calling or message from Allah when he was 40 years old at 610 AD. The first 12 years of Muhammad's prophethood, he was weak. He didn't have many followers. Even from his tribe, Quraysh, they persecuted him. They were idol worshippers. And he tried to make the Jews and the Christian tribes believe in him as a prophet, like the Old Testament prophets. They wouldn't. He was peaceful. He was imitating the Old, prophet, uh, the, the Old Testament prophets. That's why the messages from Allah during that time were very peaceful and tolerant. One verse, there is no compulsion in religion. Muslims boast in this verse and they use it over and over. But this comes from the first period of Muhammad's calling. We call it the Meccan period, which is the first period. Now, after that, Muhammad was persecuted. He fled from Mecca to Medina. And the Medinan people, they hated the Meccan because they were wealthy and merchants. So they gathered up around Muhammad. And after a few years, he went back to Mecca with 10,000 fighters. And he took over Mecca. And he declared Mecca the center of Islam. That's why they do pilgrimage there. And during that time, Allah's message changed to Muhammad. Allah's messages became aggressive, non-tolerant towards non-Muslims. Muhammad waged 29 battles in the last 10 years of his life. And he wiped entire Jewish and Christian tribes, capturing all their wealth, enslaving the women and children, and converting them by force to Islam. More than one-third of the Quran include Medinan second period verses. They are spread all over. Here's one sample verse that Muslims who are militants use to defend what they're doing. This is found in Quran 9, 29. Fight those, Allah is saying to Muslims, who believe not in Allah, nor the last day, nor hold that for forbidden, which have been forbidden by Allah and his messenger, nor acknowledge the religion of the truth, even if they are of the people of the book. And the people of the book are the Jews and the Christians. Until the people of the book pay the jizya, which is a high tax, with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. So in reality, there are two types of Muslims in the world. The majority are peaceful Muslims, okay? They don't know the truth about Islam. They refuse the last 10 years of Muhammad's life. They follow only the peaceful verse, first version of Muhammad's life. And I call them the cultural nominal Muslims just want to make a living and enjoy life. 
But the 10% to 15%, these are the true devout Muslims, and the media calls them extremists. They studied their books, or they follow a leader who studied, and they're imitating their prophet in everything he did and ordered in the last 10 years of his message and life. Because they believe Allah is progressive, the final message of Muhammad in the last 10 years replaced the peaceful message. This is what Muslim scholars say, even in Al-Azhar universities in Egypt, which is like the one that graduates thousands of thousands of imams every year from the Sunni. Now, what do Muslims believe about themselves? What are they taught in the mosque? Let's read this verse from Quran chapter 3. You are the best of peoples, Allah is saying to them, evolved for mankind, enjoining what is right, forbidding what is wrong, and believing in Allah. If only the people of the book had faith, it were best for them. Among them are some who have faith, but most of them are perverted transgressors. So they believe they are the best because they have the final message and they have a mandate to make every person and every government adhere to it. Most Muslim scholars believe that Islam is going through a dark age now. They mourn the days when Islam was the greatest power on earth. They yearn to go back to the 8th century AD where they controlled most of the influential countries back then in North Africa, Asia Minor, Eastern and part of Western Europe and all the Middle East. This is what Islamic militant groups are trying to do. Now, the Muslims in the U.S., what do they think of us? Us meaning Americans, all right? I'm an American, praise them. So 10, 20%, between 10 to 20% of the Muslims in the U.S. look at us as infidels. Some say 5 to 15%. They look at America and say, these people don't deserve the prosperity. This prosperity should be for the Muslims. And they say, Christians are immoral because... They say Hollywood is equals Christianity, equals America, equals immorality. So we have a task to correct this misconception. Amen? But the majority of Muslims, they love living in this country. They enjoy the freedom, the human rights. But they have many misconceptions about our faith. They think we worship three gods. And they believe that our Bible is corrupt. It has been changed because it doesn't talk about Muhammad. But at the same time, because they lived with us, they studied with us, they're working with us, they know that we can be trusted. They know that we don't steal or lie. They know we're authentic. We value life. We value human rights. And we defend the weak. But we need to correct this as well. We need to tell them, hey, we're not more, than, more ethical than you. It's not because we're better. It's because we are true Christ followers. And always say, true Christ follower, not Christian. All right? Just as Jesus said in Matthew 5:16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen? I hope you're not overwhelmed with all that, I've, that you've heard so far, but I'm sure that the 12 spies who went to inspect the land of Canaan were also overwhelmed. 
Let's see what report they brought back to Moses and the people of Israel and learn from it. This is the majority leader's report. But the men who had gone up with him, with Joshua, said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. We became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. They were talking about the Nephilims who were giants, the people of Anak. So they were scared, overwhelmed, and they were certain that this is a losing battle. I think what we hear from the media today, we always, if, we, if we hear the word Islam, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Suicide bombers, the Twin Towers, Right? When Muslims hear the word Americans or Christians, the first thing that comes to their mind is they hate us, they're immoral. So there's a lot of misconception, and we need to build a bridge so that we can come closer and they can't come to know what we believe and how we worship a true loving God. The report can be daunting because what we hear is they are here to stay, and that is true, They are increasing in number here. That is true. They're very active. They're financially able. And a few of them are willing to kill and die for Islam. But there's another report in Numbers 13 that came from only two courageous leaders, Joshua and Caleb. Listen to what they said. Joshua and Caleb saw the high walls. They saw the tall giants of Anak and the mighty enemy But still they declared, we will surely overcome it. Today, God's message to you and me is this. We can either believe and follow the majority's report, which is true, but very negative. Or we can claim God's promise that we will conquer and bring more Muslims to Christ. I'm sure Joshua had heard Moses many times declare to the people before he sent them, That the Lord will drive out all those nations from before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. And I think for us, the key today is to differentiate between Islam, the ideology, and the Muslims who are the adherents. Islam as an ideology is a man-made religion. It encourages death. But the Muslims, most of them are victims because they were raised ignorant of the truth about God. Do you think God has forsaken one-fourth of the world population because they follow Islam? Or is he still pursuing them just like he's pursuing us? Today I come to you like one of these spies who brought samples of the fruit from the promised land. I'm bringing you the fruit that God is sowing and reaping among Muslims. Here's one, Latifa. She hated the imam who made her by force in a village in Syria at age 13 marry an older man. And he beat her and she vowed in her heart not to worship Allah. But then when she was evicted as a refugee with her children 
many years later, and she came to Lebanon. She entered the church the first time, and she heard about Jesus. And she knew that she had found the creator who created her. She surrendered her life to Jesus. Her children are following Jesus right now. And she is encouraging her brother who fights with the Muslim extremist group in Syria to read the New Testament. And he called her a few months ago and he told her, I am reading it. I'll talk to you later. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Here's another fruit, Ahmad from Saudi Arabia. He was raised in a very devout Muslim home. His father and uncle were imams, and he saw how his father divorced his young mother after she brought him eight kids. She was 13. He divorced her when she was 25. He would not allow her to raise the children. And he would beat the eight children every morning if they didn't wake up at 4.30 in the morning to do the prayers. He vowed in his heart as well, as a young boy, he is not going to worship an Allah who makes him wake up at 4.30 in the morning. And at age 30, God opened a door for him to come here and get his master's. He traveled here. He knew. He said, Allah, you created me. If you want me to learn more who you are, open the door for me to go to America. Maybe I can find you there. He came here and lived with a Filipino family, Christian family. The older woman, 70 years old, she didn't speak English. The only thing she knew that he wanted to know about God, and she used to watch Daystar, and she would tell him, this woman, she speaks to you, Muslim. Watch her. So he was watching our program for four or five months. And he saw many, many Muslims testify about coming to Jesus. He said, maybe this is. And he started to understand. And one day he called us. And for an hour and a half, my husband and I were on the phone with him. And then when we told him, do you understand that if you leave Islam, you will pay a high price? But then you will have eternal life through Jesus Christ. He said, I understand, but I'm so afraid. My husband told him, are you willing to give your life to Jesus? He said, I am. And he prayed with him. There was birthing. All the staff, we were praying. And my husband was birthing this young man. He came to life. And after he finished praying, he was saying, Hallelujah, I want to go back to Saudi Arabia. I want to be like, what do you call these people who go and tell about Jesus? My husband said, missionary. I want to go back to Saudi Arabia and be a missionary. He told him, please. I mean, slowly, slowly. It will take some time. We brought him here and received some discipleship. He went to visit his family to see his mother for the last time in a Gulf country. And he was captured. His mother surrendered him to his family and they tortured him. And he was imprisoned for five months. Today, between the two services, my husband received a text from him. He is trying to flee from Saudi Arabia because they brought him back to Saudi Arabia, going to Bahrain, and then we'll get him a ticket to come to America. Please pray for Ahmed so that the Lord will release him and you will see him among you and he will testify to the work of God in his life. Amen? Jasmine, a marginalized young girl born in Chicago to a Muslim Palestinian family. Her... her Parents, her father, did not want to give her enough education so that she will be learned. So he married her by force at age 17 to an older man, older Muslim man. After abuse, divorce, another marriage to Muslim abuse, 
Having two children, she decided she wants to leave. She went to Phoenix, Arizona, and this is when she met Leah, a young Christian woman who attended a two-hour workshop that we presented about Islam. And God put Jasmine on Leah's heart. And for one year, she would write journals and pray for her and reach her. And after one year, Jasmine came to church and she heard the message and she surrendered her life to Jesus. Now she got baptized and she is on fire for Jesus. Just because a young woman was ready to share the message and love her. This is some fruit. This is some fruit. But there are millions and we're seeing so many come to know the Lord. Come and hear all these stories in our office, if you'd like. God is breaking the walls of Islam today. Through media, through missionaries, through the internet, and through you. So we must not be afraid to witness to the Muslims we know. Listen once again to this reality check that Caleb and Joshua gave. He said, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give us to us. And he closes with, do not fear them. And Jesus says in Matthew 10, 26, therefore, do not fear those who persecute you. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Islam offers death to its people, but Jesus offers life eternal. And this is the verse that we use all the time in our ministry. We're proclaiming Jesus' promise that he's reaching every Gentile, including you and me and the Muslim. Jesus said, I have other sheep too, which are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. Our responsibility, dear friends, is not to convert people. God is the one who works in them. Our responsibility is to plant seeds. Share Jesus. His name is powerful. Share the word of God. It changes lives. Share your life testimony and how God answers prayers in your life. And expect great things to happen. Amen? Amen. We have many resources in the back. My husband and I will be ready to shake hands with you and to give you uh, any information. I hope you will continue to pray for us as we work among Muslims, mostly for anointing, for wisdom, and for protection. People of God, the Lord is reminding us today, just as he reminded Joshua in the past, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you forever. So go out into the world. Be fearless. Profess your faith. And witness to your neighbors and friends about the risen Savior. He's the only good news in this world. Don't you agree? And he has promised us, surely I'm with you to the very end of age. In Jesus' name. Have a good morning. Thank you.